Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary with me, Toby Haydock. Hello, Toby. Um, my name is Gary Russell, and I have had one or two small involvements with Doctor Who over the years, nothing particularly major or important compared to most. Um, so the story I've given you to go and wear and watch is Robots of Death. Well, good evening, uh, or whatever time of day it is where you are. Gary Russell there, setting me the task of watching The Robots of Death, a story I'm not going to struggle to talk about, which, uh, in terms of what this podcast is, I guess is a good thing. Uh, so let's see what part two has to offer. Um Welcome to my home, or if you're watching the video, the disco where I live. Uh, and if you're listening on audio, just imagine uh, lots of funky lights uh, uh, taking us to the planet. Well, we don't know the planet, the planet that houses Caldor City uh, and the founding families and uh, all of that bunch uh, who make up the crew of the Sandminer. Who, which counts amongst its workforce the robots of death. And we're going to crack on with part two. And we're going to press play in three, two, one, now. Uh, and mine was on pause because it had already slightly started. So even if you did manage to sync up with me, <laughs> I, was, I was already a few frames ahead. Sorry about that. Um, the chances are you've got as much chance of being uh, syncing up with me as I have of guessing what Gary Russell's going to choose because uh, uh, I think he's going to go the very personal route, which is perfectly legitimate. Doctor Who is tied up with our childhoods, I think, which is why it is such a powerful thing. Um, whether we have a happy childhood or an unhappy childhood or a mixture of both, um, Doctor Who is like an anchor for a lot of those moments. It provided uh, either solace or joy or excitement. Um, so, yes, here's the Doctor finding Carol uh, in the sand miner on film. Not much film in this story. Um, uh, and it's useful for the... Uh, I always thought it was a bit like sort of um, breakfast cereal, this, uh, this stuff that uh, uh, the Doctor nearly drowns in. Um, Yes, I suppose, you know, it, it, it could be flying in much faster and sort of cut him to pieces. But, uh, oh, that's a funny, that's a funny shot, isn't it? That, uh, of, of the corridor, which slightly, the, the robots get slightly, uh, slightly wobbled. Um, I think it's something to do with uh, maybe the inlay at the back. Anyway, I've only just noticed that. Um, so uh, this is a great... Uh, story that is probably going to be uh, I, I'm probably going to have the guilt of uh, leaving out some things that uh, I very much like um, I like the fact the Doctor's got a pipe thing that he, <laughs> he can uh, you know it's a very simple it's sort of a, a is it a false cliffhanger? No I yeah it's well I mean he finds Carol's body so that's an important development somebody has locked him in the uh, in the hopper uh, so Cass is off now. Ca Ca no spoilers. 
Um, one of the things I remember about the book is that when they gather a bit later, um, Terence Dix, the writer of the book, uh, gives gives the uh, you know the lineup of the crew and says the tall, lean Cass, but Cass is actually dead at that point. So uh, I remember I remember a continuity error within the pages of the Target book. David Bailey as Dask. Uh, who Michael Bryant, I think Michael Bryant uses in, uh, I think it's Michael Bryant who directs the episode of Blake Seven he's in. Uh, and he was quite, a, he was about quite a lot, Bailey, and he was an associate artist at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and then sort of stopped acting, disappeared. Uh, and then appeared again. I remember seeing him in an advert for, he played a butler in an advert for something, legal in general or something like that. Uh, you know, oh, it's David Bailey back in the business, and then he pops up in Pirates of the Caribbean. It takes quite a thing to take a break from the business and then get a really good part uh, in a movie franchise. Uh, and so then popped back and did some stuff for Big Finish and where he was David Bailey, all one word, all small case. Uh, and he was a mate of my friend Del Henny who is Colonel Archer in Resurrection of the Daleks, who I got to know when I interviewed him for a, for a documentary. And I felt a bit bad for, for Del because he cut quite a forlorn figure in that documentary and, and we kept in touch. And uh, so, yeah, he was mates with... So when Del died, um, I got into, I reached out to, to Bailey to, 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 you know, get a bit of comment and, and to touch base. And, but um, he never got back to me. Tried him by a few means. Um, and, and I know they tried to get him for the... For the DVD uh, and 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 haven't quite managed it. I think he's quite an interesting character. Uh, I think he's great in this, um, and and yeah, an interesting. And Peter Purvis knows him as well, um, so I think he's had an interesting story to tell. He's an excellent carpenter, I believe. Makes beautiful furniture. Um, so that's the end of Cass Tarek Yunus, uh, who like. Uh, Tanya Rogers is also in Gangsters, uh, the excellent uh, Philip Martin series set in Birmingham, the seedy underworld of comedy clubs and illegal immigration and gangsters uh, uh, that starts off as a gritty play for today and gradually gets more bonkers as it goes along, but is definitely worth your time. D84. Uh, I mean, where do we begin? I, I, I hadn't even had him in my head as, but he's obviously going to have to be one of my favourite things at some point. And again, he's a character that's quite, he's quite good in the book, but I had not anticipated the sing-song voice that gives him this curious innocence and yet offbeatness. And it's strange and it's not what I expected. And it works. And look at the confidence that she has sitting in that chair going I'm you know I'm gonna take this in my stride um, I, I, and I also like uh, affrontery at, uh, uh, at the fact that d84 is a mechanical man um, and this scene is great between the two of them she she takes it totally for real Um uh -huh, very sad. And of course he comes in and so then D84 has to pretend to be the dumb robot because he is a detective. That's the that's the love. That's a lovely idea. It's a lovely sort of twist on the 
on the storytelling that that totally works. But and then she kicks him in the ghoulies. She well, he's grabbing his leg. But no, it looks to me. I I think we could say kicks him in the ghoulies. Do that again, and I'll cripple you. I love the way she does that line. I believe her. Uh, and and then he's like, he's got one up on her. He can't tell you. He's a robot. Has anyone told him that? This dialogue and character interaction sparkles and it's got important plot stuff underneath it. Glorious. Uh, no, but you can, otherwise you'd have done it. She's ahead of him. She's, she's smart. She's not stupid. He is, and he is so good. I totally buy him. Uh... And actually, he's one. You know, he's the hero. He's the. He's the, you know. He's the. He's the goody commander. But he's a. He's. He's. A, he's. He's a handful, and he's. Uh, he's flawed, and he's flinty, and. Uh, boorish, um, and and. And uh, David Collings is great because he, you know, he's the probing. He's the hunter. He's the detective. We, again, we don't know that he's a detective, but he's he's certainly the one. He's the one that we, interestingly, he's the sort of one that we trust because we've had these little asides from him where he is clearly on the scent for the the killer. I think he's at this point the the one that we know probably isn't the bad guy, even though we don't actually know there's a bad guy yet. I think I think we probably feel it can't just be the robots i don't know it's difficult for me to know because because i came to this know, knowing the plot but you know he gets this he gets this little moment alone here pity but no which he does really well um uh i love this scene uh this confrontation between the doctor and watch the way that sv7 looks at the jelly babies as they fly through the air that's brilliant a simple no thank you would have been the dialogue sparkles tom baker is at his um, obtuse best a very very witty exchange um so witty in fact that there's a line coming up that is so gorgeous that of course i i i tried to feed it into uh conversation at school and uh, thinking i would come across as very witty and actually probably coming across like somebody who goes shut up baldrick or any quote from a television program that you use to try and make yourself look funny and end up coming across you you know you think you come across as oscar wilde and you actually come across more like rick from the young ones um what uh, yeah <laughs> what you what you, i'm standing here talking to you but what what tom baker does brilliantly there is that he does the jokes i'm standing here talking to you but he he does it with a quiet danger and with a, a sort of piercing don't f with me attitude and then gives a beaming toothy smile uh, and then that smile gives way to a man who's aware of the deadly seriousness underneath it all it's it's it flits effortlessly between that gravitas that danger that darkness and the you know the cheeky bohemian the intellectual there's so much going on it's such a multi-layered he's so brilliantly cast and, and and i think this is a scene that showcases him excellently um 
Uh, and, and I sort of like the fact that often when the Doctor turns up in a place, the whole village is against him or the whole spaceship is against him or whatever. Whereas these guys all argue amongst themselves about... Uh, it's not everybody's not it's not everybody going you're a spy which I think quite often happens some people go you're a spy and the others go yeah but you'd think he's a spy because you're a git uh, and, and I buy all these relationships the way that Michael Bryant places them all in the scene is very good um, I love the way the Tom Baker then you know, you know uh, rather quietly sort of offers his opinion uh, can I just say that there's a thing you know it's, a, it's, a, it's another an, another delivery that adds sort of the ebb and flow to the to the dialogue and the interaction uh, and then that's the line I would have quoted at school the one he's just done you're a classic example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth and the size of the brain if you're Tom Baker and you say it it's witty it's funny it's a great comeback to uh, a thuggish Brian Croucher type character if you're Toby Hader can you say it to somebody at school when you're 12 I think you just come across as an arse <laughs> It's like, and I and I probably include myself in this. It's like it's like the uh, sometimes you see people who sort of dress in a way that, on an elegant man, would you know the waistcoat and the the cravat and the long coat or whatever looks amazing, but on a different sort of man looks uh, ungainly and unconvincing and slightly embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> uh, now that's Dask's trousers um, I, I remember being very disappointed with this aspect of it uh, when I saw uh, Robots of Death um, is that it seemed to me very important that in a whodunit although again it, it, that's the first time it's been made clear that the, the one of the humans is behind uh, the robot killers so we have a shot of Dusk's trousers. Dusk is the only one. You know, in other stories where everyone wears the same uniform on a spaceship, uh, it could have been any old person's trousers, but everyone has individual uniforms. So therefore showing Dusk's trousers immediately gives away that Dusk is the bad guy. Just as we're, the first time we're introduced to the concept that there is a bad guy that isn't a robot of death which we think the title is spoiled for us, you see, but actually it doesn't matter because there's another thing to guess. Who's the villain? Oh, we don't need to guess that. It's Dask. So isn't that curious that one of the most important elements, the most important element of a whodunit is that they tantalise you with whodunit, is that as soon as we discover that somebody done it, they also tell you who's who's the dunner. Um, it, it seems there's so much attention to detail in the, the rest of it. Um that it seems an odd oversight. It's almost like they go, well, it doesn't actually matter. Um, but I think it does. I think it would be nice if that was a surprise and you kept guessing, especially as they set up Yovanov later with his with his hands around Zilda's throat and, you know, you give, you're given the idea that Borg might be sort of a, a violent person. And, you know, David Collings is shifty. Turns out that what he has to hide is is that he's a detective. Um, you know, and the, and and the, and the Zilda Yovanov thing, which is all about this founding family stuff that they don't explain particularly, but it's enough. It's enough. It's a thing you sort of buy it. It's good. It's great. Um, 
So why show Dask's trousers? I think that's a shame. Yes, yeah, so Dask's jacket I have worn. I don't own anything from Doctor Who, but I have, and it had the, it had the, that's the great thing about theatre and uh, TV costumes at the time is that um, they would always have a little uh, label in saying the name of the character and the actor. So it said Dask David Bailey. Uh, I was once in a, uh, swelling the crowd in a, in a production of, the Scottish play, and I was a schoolboy college student, and uh, I wore Jane Laporte's trousers. She'd worn them as St. Joan. Uh, I wore them as a as a sort of soldiery type. Uh, Collings is brilliant. That that slightly sort of reedy voice that he has. That uh, that mercurial quality that he has. He moves like a hunter. Interestingly, he's he's. A, I think he's a very detailed and vivid and classy actor with a sardonic touch and uh, attention to detail and a wit you know now a witty actor doesn't always necessarily mean funny but a, a, a witty take that makes lines dance and makes characters sing and I interviewed David a few times and Found it really hard. <laughs> it, it was such... And do you know what? And he was not reluctant to be interviewed. He said yes to everything. He was so gracious and giving of his time. So it wasn't that he didn't like doing it. Because some of the things that we, we tried to get him for... I remember, you know, he wouldn't have even been paid for it. It was an expenses-only thing, one of them. And he agreed to do it. And then he got a, a, a radio job, so did it. And he's, he's, and he's doing this stuff very well. Um... And I'm sure I've once quoted bumblebees as being aerodynamically impossible to fly and somebody shot me down in flames. Um, isn't it odd that Tom Baker pronounces Terran, as in of Earth, as Turan? Um, I, I bet somebody said, Tom, shouldn't it be Terran? I'm a Time Lord from the constellation of Casturbulus. I know how to pronounce things. All right, Tom. Um, <laughs> um, and Louise was great friends with David Collings. Um and 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 I sent Karen Archer, David Collings's um, widow, although they were they were separated. Um, the interview I did with David at the the Royal Exchange, uh, and she said, "God, what was wrong with him?" I said, "I don't know. I think it was me." She said, "No, it wasn't. He sounds like he's having a rotten time." Uh, but I, I did other ones with him as well, and he had a he had a slightly. It was like he was slightly away with the the fairies but it did have a sort of he had a slightly sort of sighing eeyore quality about him and i i never thought i got the best out of him i don't know if other interviewees would interviewers would say the same but when i talked to colleagues of his they'd go oh david he was always first to the bar with a gin and tonic with a lemon and oh his stories and i'd go god stories i'd say things like so you're in scrooge with george with uh, george c scott yes and you played bob cratchit that's a great part Oh, was it? And I was just like, well, oh, come on. So maybe it was me. Or, or maybe sometimes you get it when you switch on a microphone or, or whatever. I love the way they do this. Um, people clam up. Um, this, 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 this is brilliantly done. I'd call for a robot. And, and the way that is, oh, it's just get the box. The way that Tom Baker very casually says, oh, get the box. And he goes, yeah. I'll just go. and, and, and I believe them. They are real people doing a thing, just getting a box off a shelf. And then suddenly you're hit between the eyes with it. Oh, God, I'd call for a robot. It's that 
which is just a sort of putting the puzzle pieces together scene, is is of superior quality, um, like so much in this story, full of clever little touches and attention to detail that you wish they'd given when Dask's trousers hoved into view. Um, oh, yes, yeah, so, so, yeah, the, the, the body count in episode two is, is actually quite high. Um, uh, and I, I, I do like the, the distinction between the characters. I, I, I like David Bailey's choice of... It makes sense for the character that he plays and the twist later on. But, you know, you you, you, you buy him as this, you know, he's the guy that's uh, cool in a crisis. Well, that's because he's the robot guy. Um, yes, spoilers. But if if you're listening to this before you've watched the story, I, I would humbly suggest that that's the wrong way round. Um, I, I, I think we, we've already had it. Uh, there's a bit where David Collings... Uh, calls it the forward hold rather than the forward hold and again that's I buy that 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 sort of I think that's a sort of naval way of describing things but that that would transpose to a sand miner I, I again I like that that some sometimes in in areas like that um, archaic phraseology persists um, it's the end of this civilization who uh, does it with a he does it with a sort of gravitas, it's a word I've probably overused. Gravitas and quiet danger, I will say about Tom Baker a lot. But that's because we we characterise him as this sort of curly-haired loon, this, uh, this force of nature, uh, mad eccentric Tom Baker. But he's got dramatic grit and he's got a, he's got a bite about him. Um... Yeah, what we no, Yvonne, What were you doing making doubly sure? So it's great because uh, it's perfectly plausible why Pool thinks that he don't. What are you doing making doubly sure? That's great. So all of this stuff really works, and you still don't quite know what Pool's game is. That's a brilliant shot of the back of Leela's head and her turning round uh, and her sensing the danger uh, by the pricking of my thumbs. Something wicked with this way comes. Uh, I, 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 you know, the doctor is very dismissive of that, but she's right because she has the instinct and she's had to, you know, p pick up different vibes as a, you know, as a, as a hunter herself in the jungle. And that's, and it's a great joke, you know, no, no, nothing's going wrong. He says the doctor all superior <laughs> and the thing crashes and they all fly. And, and, and it was very good, you know, what you call the Star Trek bit, um, where everybody flies across. That was very well done. Please don't say I told you so. It's full of such rich moments. I've only just noticed the tiger. There's a dead tiger in, in the ship. So obviously they have tigers on the outskirts of Caldor City. Now this, I think that's great with the robot rising behind her again. I'm, I'm noticing on this. I'm watching this on a slightly bigger screen to where I've seen it before. The, the robots are a constant sort of threat because uh, we again we don't quite know you know how many and why they're bad but they but they are a beautiful design and that that delivery is so good uh, that emotionless delivery they're a triumph the robots are a triumph. for a one-off you know for, 
uh, creation. I, I know they've persisted um, thanks to Big Finish, who've given uh, new life to uh, uh, lots of things. But in the TV series, you know, the amount of attention to detail for this one-off outing. Uh, I haven't even mentioned the glorious, gorgeous Pamela Salem. Classy actress. Um, I found Borky's dead. I mean, you barely make that out. You don't see Dask say it because everyone's talking through the wrist things, not on a verbal, uh, uh, a visual communicator. It's a gift. Yeah, I love all of that. But I, I, yeah, so there's another flaw. It's interesting. I'm picking out the flaws in this more because I'm confident enough to do so because it's still brilliant. Uh, he says, looking at some robots whose faces have half disappeared because of the CSO. Doesn't matter. This is brilliant. But I, I, I think it does miss seeing the death of Borg because he'd made such a good impression Brian Crouch's perfect casting for it um, to have him die off screen and be dispensed with you know by a noise off um, ah now that didn't fade that didn't that didn't bleed but those close-ups I don't know if you've got all those close-ups on the video I don't think maybe you got the last one because of course the music screams in over it I don't know can't remember I'm not committing to that. Um, so Borg and Zilda are no more. Um, Norse Cass. Um, yeah, I would. I would have liked to have got a proper death scene for for, for Borg. It's suddenly the uh, the suspects have shrunk, and they're such good characters. But it's amazing that you know, Brian Crouch is in two episodes of Doctor Who. But it's a, it's a great contribution, and he's a, he's a, he's a, he's he's a good chap. Is uh, is Brian Croucher? Once had half a carafe of wine with him at King's. Is it King's Cross Station? Um, he's he's a he's a good laugh. Um, I in fact I was at <laughs> I was at a convention with Brian Croucher, where he got so drunk his trousers fell down. Now that sounds like the sort of thing somebody would make up, but he was wearing a sort of tracksuity sort of affair. Uh, and, and and I'm not and, and you know I got very drunk as well. We, we all got very drunk as well, but we didn't get so drunk our trousers fell down. Brian Croucher did, and that's the sort of thing that only normally happens in anecdotes. But I I was there. <laughs> uh, he's a he's a he's good company and a good actor. Um... <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Oh, the things I could tell my ten-year-old self. So I could I could play Gary Russell at his own game and go. My favourite thing about the Robots of Death is that I saw Brian Croucher get so drunk his trousers fell down. Uh, but I'm not. I am going to choose. I think that that scene, uh, that confrontation scene, the interrogation scene where Yovanov, um, you know, says, "What are you doing on this mine? I'm standing here talking to you." The, classic uh, example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth and the size of the brain that the, the, the jelly babies flying in SV7 following the little bits of um, spiky banter between the between the crew that that scene I think encapsulates so much of what is good about this excellent story um, what's Gary Russell gonna choose uh, it won't be that he'll probably go uh I like Tusa's hat because I once uh, shared a bus ride with it in Skegness. I don't know. Episode two uh, is a little bit more obvious, I think, because episode two introduces us to one of the greatest companions that never was in Doctor Who. 
um, from his very first scene with Leela and then Ivanov. He's brilliant, and that, of course, is D84, who criminally didn't go off in the TARDIS at the end. In fact, uh, the Doctor allows him to die, which I never forgave the Doctor for and still haven't to this day. I think D84 is brilliant. When you consider the idea of a robot companion for the Doctor, and particularly Leela, uh, D84 fits the bill. Instead, a few stories later, we got K9. And there you go. So my favourite thing in episode two is the introduction of D84. Oh, I got the impression there that Gary doesn't like K9. People don't like K9, do they? I, have to, I remember when K9 was new. Um, I'm still sort of reading from the news that the Robots of Death is 43 years old. I don't, I don't, I mean, as I say, I don't remember it being on. It's sort of before my time, but I still don't think something that is colour that looks, you know, I can, uh, black and white, I can imagine being 40 years old, but not colour, not Tom Baker. I remember when Doctor Who itself was 20 years old. Now, Robots of Death is double that. 77, 87, 97, 2007, 2017. Yeah. It's 44 years old this year. That's insane and slightly frightening. Um, damn. I, I mean, I definitely would have chosen D84. But um, see, you've got to be canny when you play this game because I, I would have chosen, you know, I was probably saving him for a later episode. But Gary's got in there, which means I can't now choose D84. Um, so I'm going to go to bed now. And if you, if you hear a cry, that'll be me lamenting the fact I didn't choose D84. Um, I hope you're still enjoying uh, the robots of death. Um, I'm going to go to sleep now uh, off screen. Um, so you'll just have to imagine that it happened and miss out on the experience um, to your detriment. Uh, much like the death of Borg. Um, uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying this adventure. I hope you are too. Uh, and I hope wherever you are, it's a very happy time and place. Thanks for joining me for this one. And I'll speak to you during the next one. Goodbye for now. Sadly, since I recorded this commentary, David Bailey, who played Dask, who I mentioned quite a lot uh, over the four episodes and in the present tense, uh, has passed away at the age of 83. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Gary Russell. Thanks to patrons who include Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones, Andrew Jordan, Guy Lambert, James Lark, David Matthewman, Rosser McPhillips, Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Melvin Pena, Keith Perry, Dylan Reese, John Rivers, Keith Say, Len Stewart, Nick Temple, Sabrina Tirabassi, Raynard Toombs, Apollo C. Vermouth, Gary Wales, Adam Westwood, Rich Wiggins, Michael Williams, and Stephen White. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates, and the artwork is by Dylan Patterson.
If you would like your name to join those being read out there, you can join my Patreon gang, the Founding Families, at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. You get advance releases, you get exclusive material, and there's a few trinkets like a badge or two on offer as well. If you don't fancy the monthly thing, how about a one-off donation at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. But I know times are tough. The fact that you're here listening to me dribbling on is payment enough, but you could compound your generosity by leaving me a five-star review and a good review anywhere that you can where these podcasts are available. There's a video version of this on YouTube that comes out later, and that's on my YouTube channel, Toby Haydock, which you can subscribe to. That helps as well, as does going to my website, www.tobyhaydock.com. Or you can just get about your day and forget about me for a bit, which I think is probably advisable. (laughs) 